Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm Joshua Skirtu, and with me as always is my lovely wife, Angela. Tell them who you are, Angela. Uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist <coughs> and an ASEC certified sex therapist here in St. Louis. And who's and our guest today? Our guest today is David Wraith. He is the co-founder of Sex Positive St. Louis. Thank you for being here, David. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming over. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, as Angela said, I am co-founder of Sex Positive St. Louis. I'm a sex educator. I also do um, diversity awareness and um, other uh, educational stuff. Mm -hmm. um, wow, I should be more prepared for tell, tell me about yourself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't know who you are. It's um, okay. I, who am I? I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, you're Sagittarius. <laughs> oh, I'm a Sagittarius too. No way. 5'10", 200 pounds. Oh, nice. <laughs> do you like taking long walks on the beach? No. No. Okay. I think no. I learned we have a similar birthday. Are you the 16th or the 7th? I'm the 16th. We, we, we have the same birthday. Oh, wow. That's right. I learned that yeah, last that's year. Right. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you, me, and Beethoven. Yeah. Oh, really? Beethoven. Oh, no. See, we're cool people. I'm among <laughs> the greats, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and you're also polyamorous as fuck, as I, your shirt says. I am, I am polyamorous as fuck. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you become... Truth in advertising. Yeah. yeah. I think that's your like catchphrase now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners who don't know what that means, what does that mean? Uh, polyamorous um, is uh, being in multiple uh, loving and committed relationships at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, how I came to it was really... Wow. I've been polyamorous since I was like fifth grade, maybe. Wow. We didn't We didn't call it that <laughs> back then. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just kind of the way I came up. Um, my best friend, my, my two best friends were a couple and we were kind of a triad. I wasn't romantically involved with either of them, but mm -hmm. the relationship dynamics of it was something that I sort of subconsciously was recreating in my romantic and sexual relationships from the time I was a teenager. Yeah. It never really <laughs> made sense to me that you had to only be with one person, that you right. had to be monogamous. You never bought into monogamy at all. You were just right away like, I love everybody. I, I tried monogamy mm -hmm. and I was... You know, I think I had like a ten percent success rate. Like, yeah. or if How that, did you come up with that percentage? Um, well, I mean, I've been in like monogamous relationships where neither person cheated on the other. Mm -hmm. Ostensibly monogamous, I should say, but they were rare. Like yeah. most of the time, I cheated on my partner, and my partner cheated on me, if not both. It just didn't work out. No, and yeah. I just got to a point. Like in my early twenties, I didn't mm -hmm. even know the word polyamory. Right. I just started saying to my partners, "Look, you know, I'm not." looking for someone else but if the opportunity arises i can't say i won't take it and right. i offer you that same freedom right and then mm -hmm. i discovered that that was called polyamory yeah. um oh. it wasn't until i was probably 26 years old that i started identifying as polyamorous but mm -hmm. really i'd been that way my whole life mm -hmm. yeah i'd well, never i never heard of it till i was in college like i never met somebody who was polyamorous till well then. i wanted to put a percentage out there because he said he kept cheating and it's like actually 60 to 80 percent of people cheat in yeah. their relationships so it's a pretty high well, see, here's... perhaps most people are behaving polyamorously, no, even if they aren't no, identifying. No, <laughs> no, okay, no. Okay. no, that's not polyamory. <laughs> no, 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 because no. it has to be consensual. That's I understand. failed monogamy. So what's the difference between <laughs> so, cheating yeah. on your partner and polyamory? Well, I mean, to me, cheating is a violation of the rules. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not about having sex with someone other than your partner or not. It's about mm -hmm. violating the rules that you and your partner mm -hmm. have agreed You're to. You're violating the trust. Right. No you matter can, what that trust is. Yeah, you can still cheat as a polyamorous person. Yeah. yeah. You know, if I lie to mm -hmm. any of my partners, to me, that's cheating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if I do something 
with another person that we have negotiated, I do not do. That's still cheating. Yeah. Mm. You know, because it's a violation of our rules. It's just that sex with other people or relationships with other people is not a violation of the rules so right. long as we're honest about it. So what are some of your rules that so as a polyamorous person, has anybody ever cheated on you then? Absolutely. That? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. You might, without <laughs> mentioning any so it names, you mind, at all. You, might, <laughs> no. you mind discussing like how that would happen? Well, I mean, I've had people who, you know, my, my first real poly triad was when I was 19. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, told my girlfriend, it's totally cool if you date my best friend. And I told my best wow. friend, it's totally cool if you date my girlfriend. But they both lied to me about like wanting to move in together. And so even though it wasn't dating, it was like they were. Yeah. The sex wasn't a violation of my trust. Them sort of planning to move in together and not telling me Mm -hmm. was a violation. And I considered that cheating. Yeah. Um, You know, I've had partners who we were fluid bonded with each other, but no one else. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. To be. Thank you for stopping me. To be fluid bonded means you have, you know, unprotected, you know. Uh, sex you you have exchange with bodily fluids right so you have to have a little bit of stronger trust with that person right. to do that yeah and you know typically when i'm fluid bonded with one person then i'm not with anybody else yeah i mean my maximum is like in, in the past my maximum has been two people that mm-hmm. i'm fluid bonded with and mm-hmm. all my partners know that i'm fluid bonded with both of them yeah you don't and, fluid you don't then go have unprotected sex right, with other people with anyone outside of that then it might bring, use, expose them to yeah. stds yeah mm-hmm. we use condoms Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've had partners who I was fluid bonded with have sex with other people without condoms and, you know, not tell me until afterwards or not tell me until after we had had unprotected sex again. Oh, no. Yeah. Mm. And so that is cheating to me, even in a polyamorous dynamic. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. That is interesting. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's hard to follow that like, up. Wow, I'm like, there's wow. just so much like to my... think about there. But yeah, like, I think the identity there is, or the important thing is that we're identifying the rules that people understand. Yeah. You know, like, and I think that's something different about some polyamorous relationships that some monogamous couples don't have, which is that um, you guys do talk a lot about what the rules are and what the boundaries are. And sometimes in monogamous relationships, I think there's an assumption about what that is. It works. It works. Sorry. (laughs) You can always pause. No, go ahead. Sorry, distract you. Yeah, no. Well, monogamous couples kind of assume where those boundaries are, and that can sometimes cause more harm than good. And I think that, I mean, we're all changing as people as we grow all mm-hmm. the time. And I think that monogamous couples, if their needs change or their desires change, it's very difficult for them to talk about that. Right. It's Without... almost like when they got married, they signed this contract to this is our relationship right. and this is what it's going to be. They until set those rules. One in of stone. us dies. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that for polyamorous people, and it's one thing that I want the poly community to teach the monogamous community mm-hmm. is it's much easier for us to renegotiate those rules over time as Mm -hmm. we age, as we grow, as we change. Mm -hmm. And so because we're already having those types of conversations, um, we have a much easier time, in my experience, talking about relationship changes. Whereas I think for monogamous people, especially if they're not used to having those conversations, when things do change, it can be really devastating and be really hard for them to be honest mm-hmm. about. And I really, I really feel for them. And that's why, again, if I, as a polyamorous person can teach anything to the monogamous population, 
it's how to negotiate, yeah. you know, how to discuss changes in relationship. Or maybe even just to be able to talk about your relationship. Yeah. The reality yeah. is my wife is a marriage therapist and a sex therapist because people don't talk about For sex. For that reason. Exactly. They don't even talk about their relationship sometimes. They just kind of show up, they grind each other and go to bed. And, and that's they hope it. for the best over time. I hope it'll work out. <laughs> I got a ring. Nothing could go wrong, right? Well, but David's bringing up a really good point. I mean, people change over their time. I think, you know, maybe you're 20s, maybe you're in your 30s and you get married. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. And it may be a good idea for that time. But as we change, people want new things, especially in their 40s. And like after the weirdest thing is it's after somebody dies. I think people really like reevaluate their lives and what yeah. they want out of it. And you'll see like big change when that happens. Speaking of that, um, you actually de- uh, dealt with some grief of your own recently. Yeah, it's it's really funny. I'm back in therapy. Yeah, and my th- aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it was maybe our like second or third session. My therapist asked, like, "Has your you know your sex life, or your sexual desires, have they changed since your wife died?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, is that a thing?" And she's like, "Yeah, it's like totally common." Wow. And I felt so much better because even I, as a sex educator and someone who talks about this stuff all the time, sure, I was kind of surprised how much my my sexual desires changed after how my did they change? wife passed away. They got really, they got way weirder and yeah. way darker, much kinkier and darker. Yeah, like yeah. much kinkier and much. I wasn't into chastity before my wife oh, died. Oh, interesting. And you know, I'm you know. I'm wearing a cage. So can you explain <laughs> that? that? That doesn't read well to the podcast audience, but I just knocked on my penis and a very like hollow, solid sound came from it. Um, what is chastity exactly? I I wear like right now as I sit here, I'm wearing like a penis shaped cage that is locked. So like I cannot get an erection. I and cannot. you don't have the key. I do have the key. You do. Because my partner and I don't live together. Okay. So she has one key, I have the yeah, other. But so difficult. I have the key for like emergencies. Yes. <laughs> but I don't use it without her permission. That's interesting. So that's interesting. one like major change. I wasn't into like golden showers, um, oh. which or water sports, which for those of you who aren't familiar <laughs> with the nomenclature is having someone urinate on you. Wow. I was not into that before my wife died. So like things just got real weird. Yeah. And I was really happy to find out that that's not, that I'm not an anomaly in that, right. in that scenario. A lot of people have, they deal with that grief and they need to change something in their life to make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some people change their hair. Yeah. Or they like <laughs> rearrange their furniture. Or they start a new career. I like... wear a chastity cage and get pissed on. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> I love how honest you are. Like, that is why you were one of my favorite guests. You were actually on our show, one of the first episodes. And mm-hmm. I just love how honest you are. That's yeah. amazing. Like, too, too much information is part of the brand. Yeah. It's, it's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> no, it's a feature, definitely. So dealing with grief, uh, do you think polyamory, uh, that lifestyle, helped with your grief at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in my case, because... I had several lovers, Mm -hmm. you know, before my wife died and I had, and a lot of my lovers were friendly with my wife or friends with my wife. Mm -hmm. So I have a partner now who knows how much I love my wife and and was friends with my wife and doesn't feel any competition with, you know, my late wife and understands a lot of what I'm going through because she, you know, witnessed some of it happening. Yeah. And I just, I'm in, you know, support group for widows and I was kind of not 
amazed, I'm a little surprised at how like how many people in my support group have not dated at all since yeah. their mm-hmm. spouse passed and they shut it's down been years yeah and it actually mm-hmm. took me a while to admit that i had a girlfriend mm-hmm. you know so recently after my wife dying because i felt really weird about being poly mm-hmm. and you know dating someone when i'm in a room full of people that have not dated anyone since right. they oh, lost okay. their spouse. okay so they weren't necessarily a poly and group was, no no okay. so, and you know i think part of that is the grief and not wanting to like besmirch the the memory of their spouses, but I think it's also like when you're married for 20, 30 years, like you forget yeah, how to forget talk how to, to you actually, a woman. Well, I think and you also define yourself. And you also learn to define yourself that uh-huh. way. So yeah. Right. Like you like when, are this person's husband or When you're wife. monogamous, like you yeah. show up to a room, you, you, you actually have to act differently than when you were single. Like you can't say certain things to women. You don't approach certain topics with certain women. You know, there's just a different lifestyle when you're married. Like, especially if your wife is present. When she's gone, you're good. <laughs> you're good to go. <laughs> uh, well, now I want to put a little camera. <laughs> then the, then the dirty jokes come out. You're good to go. Well, I think we share plenty of dirty jokes. Oh, yeah. Well, we do a podcast about sex, so I'm pretty open about it. I try. I do try to censor myself when I'm in public, though. So. Mm-hmm. Well, so you think, actually, it helped a little bit, having other resources, it, other it, connections. It helped a lot. It helped yeah. a lot. Because um, you had a shoulder, you had shoulders to cry on. Well, I mean, I had, I had a very intimate family mm-hmm. that knew my wife, and so it was, it was just, it was a very different landing, I think, mm-hmm. for someone who this is the only romantic partner they've had for X number of years, and now they're gone, mm-hmm. and they're just trying to relate to you know their platonic friends and family. I thought it was, I think it was a very different experience for me. Do you think yeah. people end up being closer as friends in polyamorous communities, or do you think it's not a difference? Absolutely. Yeah, you I do. Okay. Absolutely feel that way because, and not that there's, you know, not that poly people are better that polyamorous. No is judgments. Better. <laughs> yeah, because it's really it is not for everybody, in my opinion, but. I mean, there's just a different level of intimacy even amongst the people that you haven't had a sexual relationship with. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I'm and I'm not just poly. Like I'm a super freak. Like I, you know, I go. To, <laughs> You're a super freak. <laughs> I go to BDSM parties. I go to swing parties. Yeah. I, I throw clothing optional parties. So it's just a different level when you've seen almost all your friends naked and you've <laughs> seen some of them having sex and wow. you've yeah, seen. Yeah. Some of them, you know, beaten till they bleed or beaten till they cry. Well, or... for some friends, I would pay to see that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's one of the great things about being me is that, you know, for me to pay to see my friends beat until they bleed is usually like, you know, five to ten dollars <laughs> at the door. Yeah. Because we're yeah. all having fun. It's all yeah, consensual. And there's no charges either. I don't even, we don't even tip, you know, in you the don't BDSM. Even you don't like, if you see a particularly good BDSM scene, you don't like make it rain. You don't make it rain yeah. on the bloody <laughs> pile. It's like, Unless oh. That's a part of the fetish. Maybe. That was a that was a great ass slap. Here, catch this twenty. <laughs> That's great. We should start that though. That'd yeah. be fun. Get, get bottle service at BDSM clubs and just make it rain. Make it rain. <laughs> so with BDSM, do you, uh, has that lifestyle changed at all for you since the uh, grief? You know what? I haven't. I haven't played a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. Uh, I haven't done a lot of BDSM since uh, mm-hmm. my wife passed away, and I'm not sure why that is. Mm-hmm. I did about a year ago. Um, I was at a dungeon in Chicago, mm-hmm. and this woman, I, I, I joke, and I'm kind of joking, and I'm kind of serious, that <laughs> I've spent my entire adult life looking for a woman who will beat me as hard as my mother did. Yeah. Um, and I met this woman in Chicago who came closer than anyone else. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> and oh god <laughs> for me like after um after tragedy after loss like a really good beating can be mm-hmm. really cathartic and yeah. can be really like you emotionally just feel something. satisfying. You want to yeah. feel something other than that grief. Because you I can feel kind of numb. Yeah. And right? I don't know if that's part of why I haven't been playing so much in the BDSM community since my wife died or if it's just um, coincidental. Did you also share the BDSM lifestyle with her? No. No. Okay. She wasn't really into it, which no. was which was fine. I had a True. had a, a professor at WashU ask me like, wouldn't it be easier if your wife was like a dominatrix? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm sure would have been it would have been easier for her if i was you know six foot tall and a multi-millionaire (laughs) but i'm five ten and broke like we all make sacrifices for love (laughs) you don't get everything that you want (laughs) (laughs) but that's part of why polyamory is probably so helpful too because then if you don't get all of it then there's always other people (laughs) well yeah i mean you know it's just like i used to tell my wife you know we have our relationship and then you have your boyfriend that you can do wine and cheese with Mm because i am not i am neither interested in wine nor cheese she loves both i love both of those (laughs) things big wine and cheese fan (laughs) yeah she's always whining I'm a fan of the Gouda. That was a bad time. Uh, I know there. it really yeah, was. It was. You really need to think about your choices, gotta, honey. Go stand in the corner for a little bit. It's good Dad. thing I good time th- out. Dad jokes are coming out. Good thing I turned my phone off because I have a rim shot. Oh, that's a nice. <laughs> I have a cum uh, shot on mine, so there you go. <laughs> I got a sh- shaking head out of you. That's interesting. He's like, are you what? Are you thinking jo- about Josh this? is here all week, folks. I'm here all week. <laughs> Tip your waitresses. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, so you also wanted to talk a little bit about the Me Too stuff. So yeah. what do you think about that stuff? Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, when the thing about Harvey Weinstein happened, mm-hmm. you know, I read about it like we all did, but I didn't pay, I didn't give it my full attention. I was like, oh, Harvey Weinstein's a scumbag. Who knew? Right. You know, it was, it was horrifying what he did, but I didn't think it had anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. And as more stories kept coming out, and I feel like the women involved did a really great job of keeping it, you know, top of mind in the press for a, for a much longer time than I thought it would be. It's still there. Yeah. I, I really started thinking about how this applies to me, how this applies to my behavior, how this applies to the way I've treated women and also the behavior that I've tolerated from other men. Right. Mm. And letting so, shit go that should not. Yeah, yeah. So I realized that there was a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I stopped, you know, rocking with because of the way they treated women mm-hmm. years ago. But there were yeah, other guys that I sort of ignored things I'd heard about them and kind of, you know, rationalized. Turned a, yeah, yeah. Turned a blind eye or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the Me Too mm-hmm. movement really made me think about a lot of those choices. Mm-hmm. And, it was a really good kind of gut check, I think, for men. Mm-hmm. And I hope that I hope this continues and I hope it changes the culture. And mm-hmm. the thing that I'm feeling right now is, you know, there's always going to be a women and minorities mm-hmm. in America never make any strides without, you know, a strong and immediate backlash. Right. Yeah. And it seems like it doesn't matter how horrible something is, how long it's been going on. If it primarily affects women and minorities, any solution that you offer has to be perfect. Perfect. Uh Like I know. No white people, no straight people, no Christians, no cisgender people, no men, you know, whatever privileged demographic you want to name can be slightly inconvenienced Mm -hmm. by it. And what I tell men is, look, some of your friends are problematic Mm -hmm. and they're going to get called out and you need to start thinking now about how you're going to deal with it yeah 
you hmm. may have committed problematic behavior and not realized it. Right. And you need to start soul searching and think about how you're going to deal with it. And, and this is where I lose some people, but mm-hmm. there's going to be, for lack of a better word, innocent men mm-hmm. caught up in this. There is. And we need to think about how we're going to deal with that because that's going to suck for those guys, mm-hmm. but it doesn't inval- invalidate an entire real movement. Yeah. Like I will feel bad. I have <clears throat> friends who I reasonably believe have been falsely accused of sexual misconduct. Sure. And that sucks. And I hate that for them. But there are countless women who have been assaulted or raped that I know about and mm-hmm. exponentially more that I don't know about. Sure. Who Women and men, I, and, and to be men. honest. Yeah. And I feel bad for them too. And I can't even quantify how many of them there are for me to feel bad about. It's easy when your best friend gets called out, whether he's guilty or not, to focus on what's happening to him it's harder to focus on this sort of like abstract notion of millions of women who yeah. have been assaulted right and either kept he's silent, real he's yeah, right there you know him kept silent or weren't believed it will you look at the celebrities it's like mm-hmm. really easy when you know an artist that you really admire gets accused of sexual assault or rape to think about all the great art they contributed to your life right it's harder to quantify all the art that's missing from your life because women artists or women entertainers or women you know content creators you know get, were blackballed from the business for speaking out right. or, or assaulted left, and left. the business yeah. Yeah. you know because they were assaulted so yeah hmm. it's a really it, it takes some mental gymnastics to really think about the real cost of these things it does yeah i i think one of the hardest things for me dealing with it is understanding that people that i looked up to and admired yeah. and really were heroes to me mm-hmm were terrible people and they were just putting on a show and like somebody like bill cosby like he was everybody's dr huxtable Mm -hmm. he was everybody's grandpa he was everybody's dad that you looked up to and you're like he's a good man and it just got shit all over and that was so hard for me like and it made me worry about like the ones that i really care about like robin williams uh what's his name (laughs) <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor, Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers. Oh if, if, if either of those two, oh, if either of those two, it ever came out, it would just destroy me. Yeah, because, Mr. Rogers. Because yeah. I can't, and not because not, be, no, not no, because we're saying that happened, guys. Not, not, not no, 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 no. Not I'm because not implying that. Not because I wouldn't want those women to have say it. Like I would want them to say it more because it would just destroy my view of yeah. every you good just, man in the world that I've ever. You met. just want it to not be true. I want it to so not be true. And I feel like. All of us need a moment to mourn the mm-hmm. person we thought they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like, you know, sexual assault survivors, you know, feminists, mm-hmm. uh, anti-rape activists, they have a hard time acknowledging that, okay, what this person has been accused of is horrible, mm-hmm. and I believe the accusers, but I've been rocking with this dude for 30 years. Right. I need a minute to process right. this. It's before. somebody you loved, maybe. Yeah. 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 You cared about you them. You developed this yeah. connection to the people. And, and that's tough. But that doesn't invalidate the fact that it needed to come out. And yeah. that so many and, women are being affected by this. Yeah. I mean, in my practice, I can't even quantify. Most of them have had some sort of traumatic history that's at the, different yeah. points. That's something I've struggled really with tough. doing this podcast, is meeting so many people and 
learning about how so many of them have been assaulted, have been affected by this. In times and so places you would think they should be safe. And so much so that I've been trying to avoid having people on who are talking specifically about trauma because while those are amazing and shows and they're important, it's so hard to hear that. Because yeah. every time it happens, I just... My entire view of humanity is shit in the toilet. But here's the thing. It's it's really common. It is. And mm -hmm. part of the reason why, you know, too much information is, is a, you know, a feature, not a bug with me, mm -hmm. is I feel <laughs> like we all have such a hard time talking about the things that we go through that are taboo mm -hmm. and that we've been shamed about. And so we become isolated. Mm -hmm. Like we think, well, I'm the only person who feels this way. Or I'm the only person who's who this has happened to. Mm -hmm. And... We build shame up with in a room full of people that have had similar experiences right and we don't know because none of us are talking right so just like i'm really open with you know the things that i go through it's because i want to destroy that taboo so that yeah. everyone can talk honestly and i feel right. the same way about sexual assault it's such a open secret like it's so common but no one wants to talk about it it is and, that, and that's the mm -hmm. hard thing because when somebody has it happen to them they feel shame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They feel somehow like they did something wrong and they didn't. 100% you did nothing wrong, but they have that feeling mm -hmm. because anytime people talk about it, there's this taboo. People freeze up. They respond as and if you've done something wrong. People don't always wrong believe them. They don't they, want to be defined by it. Right. And they don't know? want to be defined it. They don't want to be a victim. And, and they don't want to be tied to their abuser in that right. way for the rest of their right. life. They want to just be able to say, oh yeah, this happened to me. And like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've actually started doing that with my depression. Like if somebody talks about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm depressed all the time. I'm dead inside. <laughs> and to me, it makes it so much easier just to be brutally honest with it about it and make a joke because I yeah. hide behind humor. Hello. Well, because a lot of adults <laughs> are actually struggling with depression. All, yeah. all of them are, honestly. <laughs> Pretty much. Like research shows that every adult will go through a stage in their life where they have depression. Not necessarily chronic their entire life, but yeah. some people will deal with it. Mm -hmm. Everybody almost. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's a tough thing to deal with, but we need to. So absolutely, yeah. we have to. We have to change the culture. We do, and you can't do that without talking about it and getting getting it out in the open. And it's gonna hurt. It's when oh, you yeah. rip, you rip that bandaid off. It's gonna be bloody and gory, but well, I feel <laughs> like, but it'll heal because you'll put a new bandage on it <laughs> and you'll like, get you know, real treatment. We have we have to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yeah, and those of us with the most privilege are going to feel the most discomfort in this process. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to lean into that discomfort mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that is a fraction of what sexual assault survivors have felt right. you know, for years when we weren't addressing these issues. Right. Well, I'd, I wish we would do that instead, like as a, a collective group, <clears throat> lean in and, and maybe take some ownership instead of, you know, what typically happens. Like you said, if anything is about women or minorities, there's this backlash of like, well, these people matter too, or that, you know, like this is important too. And it's like, yes, but we're trying to cover something specific here. This mm -hmm. is a real issue. And I just wish people would take more of that. Like, you know what? That is an issue. What are we going to do to make this better? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> sort of mentality. So how do we fix it? Yeah, fix it, <laughs> I think it, talking David. about it, I, I, I think he's right. Like the biggest thing you can do is talk about it. And talking about it Maybe means not you also talk about it. solutions, yeah. but... The reality is people Cause, I mean, shoot if you, down solutions if they're not perfect. Well, I mean, talking about it, modeling different behavior, mm -hmm. and calling out bad behavior when you see it. I mean, if you look at 50 years ago, there's, you know, you, you watch, you know, old movies. You will mm -hmm. see all this behavior exhibited that is right. not acceptable Right now. on the screen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's because the culture changed. And that's mm -hmm. what we need to do with, you know, catcalling and sexual harassment yeah. and all the sort of, you know, 
for lack of a better word, minor offenses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that devalue people, particularly women, mm-hmm. and make rape okay, for lack of a better way of putting mm-hmm. it. Like, I feel like it's not, it's, you know, you can't be, you're not necessarily going to be in the room with two people, mm-hmm. you know, the moment before a sexual assault happens. But you can see, you know, little boys on the playground saying inappropriate things to girls and say, mm-hmm. hey, that's not cool. Yeah, that's not okay, yeah. yeah. Or, I, or grown men saying inappropriate men. things and say, hey, that's not cool. And I, I think that's hmm. the biggest place where we fail as a culture is not being willing to say, hey, stop, or that's not cool. And I do it. If somebody's saying something really sexually aggressive or grabbing somebody, I will say it. And I think a lot of people, they have so much shame and they have they see sex as such a taboo that even bringing up the word sex is just shuts them down. So if you're actually talking about sexual aggression or that, they shut down even more. Well, we use shame so well as a culture. Oh, we're so good to yeah. control people. <laughs> we do, but we're experts. At we it. don't seem to want to influence people to not sexually assault mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. because we should. That's what we should be shaming. As yeah. opposed to shaming so, women for what they wear, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we should be shaming, you know, abusive people for their behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Victim blaming doesn't help anything. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well. Yes. <laughs> I think, any, anything else on the Me Too? Either of you? I'm good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about. Uh, dating mature women oh yeah i'm the one who's interested in this <laughs> yeah, i always Angela. notice I've, I've known david for a little bit and every time i see you with an older woman i'm really curious what what is it that you're interested in when it comes to mature the mature woman <laughs> well i mean what draws you to that first i think the obvious thing is i have mommy issues um <laughs> i love my mother I had, a, I had a wonderful mother yeah um but I didn't realize how much my attraction to older women was influenced by my relationship with my mother until after she died. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time I was here, I talked about you know the BDSM scene where I got beaten for seven hours. Right, you were bloody. Yeah, that was shortly after my mom died. I see. And oh. once we were done, this uh, the dom who was beating me hugged me, and it, when she hugged me, I suddenly realized, oh, okay, this is connected to my mother. Like this is, I can finally allow my brain to go there now that my mother's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. So I definitely have some mommy issues. I also think gray hair is just super hot. Like yeah. I love gray. Like when like really problematic women start to go gray, like I just have to stay away from them. It's like, oh, look at that beautiful head of gray what hair. What do you mean problematic? What do you mean? Like women that like. I know better than to get involved with romance. There's something about them that oh, okay. isn't good for like, you. Yeah. Little chaos. <laughs> um, like, High chaos. Yeah. But then they, as, you know, and as we're getting older, they start going gray. And I'm just like, oh man, she looks so great with gray hair. Stop mm-hmm. it. Stop. This is bad. That's, that's how powerful it is. Yeah. Um, so, and also, I like women that are smarter than me. I like women that, oh, me too. that have mm-hmm. more experience than me. I like women who can, like, you Wise, know, rem- smart. Whose, yeah. whose memory goes back longer than mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mine's um, only a week, so that's everybody. <laughs> also, um, I... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that was a really bad joke, and it totally <laughs> like, knocked out whatever I was thinking. What, which one? The one that you oh. said you don't remember a week ago. Oh. But no, I like women who's. I, I thought it was a pretty good joke. But. I like women whose memory goes back longer than mine. Um, and as a submissive, I think um, I feel like being younger puts me at something of a disadvantage. Yeah. Because um, you know, women have more experience than me. Well, and, then and they're like dominant. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just. But you like being the submissive. Yeah. Okay. 
and and I just I don't know I just did I just adore older women I think I think yeah. laugh lines are sexy I think wrinkles are sexy I just oh, yeah. anyway <laughs> I just awesome. love I love older women's faces like mm-hmm. there's a Martin Schuller uh, portrait of um, Helen Mirren mm-hmm. and it's just like tack sharp focus and it's like really close up like her head fills the whole frame yeah and every time I look at that picture I just think to myself I just want to stick my tongue into every line in that woman's <laughs> you face you want to lick her entire face <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and you recently you did tell me you had sex with Betty Dotson, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Why don't who you is, tell everybody who Betty Dotson and, is? And she insisted that I talk about it. <laughs> she awesome. insisted it. She insisted. That's hilarious. That's yes. Please um, do tell then. Tell us all the details. How'd you meet her? Uh, I sent her. I sent her an email. Yeah. Asking her out on a date because wow. I was going to be in New York City. And, and you'd never met her before? No. Wow. Never spoken oh, to her. Nice. Wow, you're bold. And and <laughs> part of the way that I couched it was I teach this class called uh, Sex Positive. What is it? Mm-hmm. And in the class, I talk about, uh, there's a section where I talk about my sort of sex positive role models. Mm-hmm. So I talk about uh, Susie Bright, Annie Sprinkle, Carol Queen, and Betty Dotson. Ah. Mm-hmm. And I'd met, you know, Annie, Susie, um, Carol. I've had pictures taken with all of them. So when I do my slideshow, it's pictures of me with them. Mm-hmm. And then it's just this picture of Betty Dotson that I yanked from the internet. Yeah. So part of my pitch was, yeah, I really need to get a picture of the two of us for my presentation and I'd love to <laughs> take you out to dinner. That's and she's sweet. like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. So I go to New York and I go to her apartment and we start talking and it just became really obvious that we were going to have sex. But <laughs> that's, she that's made awesome. it very clear that we were not going to have sex that day. Okay. Oh, okay. I had to come back tomorrow. How did she make that clear? <laughs> well, we're not she, having sex today. So, you know, basically <laughs> yeah. that she said, she said, I don't believe in spontaneous sex. Mm-hmm. I believe sex is a ritual that has to be prepared for. Oh, that's, so, that's kind of sexy. So can too. you come back tomorrow? And I was like, <laughs> yes, I can. Let and me, I will prepare for that ritual. <laughs> let me look at my calendar. Yes, I'm free tomorrow. That's awesome. What do you have to do to prepare? <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, shower. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's important. I agree. It's just shower. And I don't know. Do I don't you have know to pray or Med- meditate? Meditate. Yeah. I don't know. All Lots of vitamins. <laughs> Thorough uh, crotch massages, you know, get them all. Well, yeah. no I cramps. like the building of anticipation. I've actually been talking a lot about that in therapy. Like people, yeah. I don't think they're spending enough time like really putting their brain on it and thinking ahead and getting excited about the anticipation yeah. of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Anticipation adds something. Yeah, to it. I that's call why it the women, playground. That's why women like romance novels that they're not just doing it on the first page. It's like there's no, a build-up. There's, build build up up there's a push you know. and pull. We're there. We're not. It's exciting. Plus, I mean, I, I totally get that. Like, for example, if, if I really think it's a bad idea for me to have sex with someone mm. i will not like thoroughly wash my ass before i see them <laughs> like why because i know i'm not gonna i know that i won't have sex with them under that circumstance like okay. you know i wash my ass every day sure but you don't do like the thorough like pre-sex pre-orgy cleansing mm-hmm. every day like i only actually think that like proctologists and dermatologists would advise against it <laughs> like i think if you really gave your asshole the like pre-orgy treatment every day of your life you'd probably get some condition that only porn stars get like, really <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> too much soap back there what's the pre no 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 like wire brushes that i mean day. you know oh before you know the difference between like before you go to work and before mm-hmm. you go on a hot date like, yeah mm-hmm. the sure, amount sure. of attention you give to cleaning your asshole is different <laughs> i do about the same but i know like i'll do an extra one before like a date or a meeting up you know 
Yeah, but, a yeah. superb cleaning. Like if I, a, you if, get squeaky. If I know squeaky. Angela's in the mood, I'll be like, yeah, I'll get a little cleaner. And then I'll pack wipes <laughs> just in case. Yeah, smart. <laughs> I never thought stuff. of that. <laughs> I really thought about like getting a t-shirt printed that said, you know, I washed my asshole for this question mark <laughs> to like wear it like really bad orgies. Like really, you guys? Yeah. Really? Really? They, well, I, was, I actually thought recently the same thing. Like I shaved my asshole for this. <laughs> <laughs> or I bleached my asshole oh, for this. That'll work. <laughs> Either way, something happened with the asshole, and I'm really disappointed with the outcome. I worked hard on my butt. It's very important to describe it but, the uh, reason great. for the joke. There's some but yeah, butt but jokes. for those of you who don't know, Betty Dotson. Who is this, Betty Dotson? This conversation took a left turn, and it's yeah. all my fault this time. <laughs> okay. Did once, we even say who Betty Dotson for was? For once, it wasn't Josh. <laughs> really? Uh, Betty Dotson is a sex educator. Wait, am I flighting? You're always the one who does it. Tell us about Betty. Betty Dotson is <laughs> a sex educator and a yeah. writer. She's known as the mother of masturbation. Mother she's, of masturbation. She's the author of the book Sex for One, mm-hmm. and she is the creator creator of the body sex workshop which is mm-hmm. a workshop for women where they they're naked in a circle they talk about their relationships with their vaginas they masturbate in the circle and mm-hmm. then they all give each other like a full body massage um like each person gets a full body massage yeah, nice like each from all the other participants wow um and it's kind of was the like part of the inspiration for what we some of the things we do at sex positive st louis like mm-hmm. the pussy party and the penis party mm-hmm. and things like that what, what what's a pussy party so the, well <laughs> honestly i'm not the one to ask okay because yeah. i've never been to Kendra's one explained it everybody gets naked and they look at each other's pussies and they like come up with names for them and stuff i, I have <laughs> like, like glinda the good witch <laughs> i have helped provided speculums or specula uh, for the pussy party oh um, they get like speculum yeah well, and I want to give you guys a That's history on Betty, too. Like, for me to become a certified sex therapist, I had to watch one of Betty Dotson's videos where she teaches women to orgasm. And so oh. basically the video is her, like, doing a whole history with these women, women who've never orgasmed in their entire lives. She mm-hmm. takes a big Hitachi wand and she, like, like a sheet and then a Hitachi wand and she tells them how to, like, position their bodies. And then they, for the first time ever, learned to orgasm. And I, I had to see that so that I could teach other women how to orgasm. That's interesting. I thought it was great, I, you know. I don't know. For me, that would be kind of awkward if somebody were sitting there saying, okay, this is how you're going to come. I'm like... Oh. You know, she's like a nice grandmotherly type, though, so she's so sweet about <laughs> it. I don't know if my grandma <laughs> being there would help it but <laughs> no she was she's like it's so she's gentle and sweet sure. and teaching them you know sure. I thought Wait, she was a nice lady gentle sweet nice lady <laughs> well at least in the video this she is betty was. dotson we're talking about in this the betty video dotson. she was maybe she's not was this video filmed in like 1975 it's an older it video, video. Possible, yeah. 16 yeah. millimeter film she's yeah. adjusted yeah. She's her adjusted. approach but at, at 89 years old she's 89 betty gives no fucks um, she's, no? yeah. she's, she's a hoot to be around. She's something else. Well, at that age, nobody gives any F fucks. Like really, <laughs> like you seem to not give many of them. And I love that. And about that's what you. we like about you. Actually. Yeah. We want people who can just be raw and honest. Yeah. <laughs> I try. Yeah. Good job. No right. fucks given. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we can maybe segue into the sex worker piece. Huh? So are you a former sex worker? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm retired. Like I, like I said at the risk podcast, I'm retired, but mm-hmm. I'll still entertain any reasonable offers. Yeah. Okay. What would be a reasonable <laughs> offer? Um, mm, I don't want to, I don't want to quote that here. No, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Okay. You're allowed so to say no. how long, how long were you a sex worker and how did you get into it? Um, probably, Oh God, it's hard to, it's hard to say if it was like a year or more. Um, how I got into it was Kendra holiday. Mm-hmm. One of my partners at sex positive St. Louis 
was teaching these workshops on how to be a sex worker and mm -hmm. she was teaching them for women and as happens anytime we do a women only event you know guys get you know in their feelings and say well how come there's no how to be a sex worker class for men yeah and so we finally did one and i went just to support kendra mm -hmm. i had tried to be a sex worker when i was in college mm -hmm. and really broke and realized that it wasn't for me no okay and so i was going just just out of curiosity and to support Sure. And as I'm sitting there listening to Kendra, I'm thinking, well, yeah, like I could do that. And I, this is when my wife was still alive. And I said, you know, I went to Kendra's, you know, how to be a sex worker class. And I think I could do it. And my wife was like, well, yeah, you'd be a great sex worker, honey. <laughs> and <laughs> so she would, she would help me with marketing and branding. Um, <laughs> nice. And so Maybe I, that's the harder part of the job is the marketing and branding. Yeah, but she's, she was a product designer. So she had a lot of experience oh, with that. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. she, she, you know, she did pound puppies and go bots. And also me as a sex worker, so mm, nice. She has a it's varied, a wide range, a very resume. broad range, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I I really enjoyed doing it. The reason I'm not doing it now is because uh, I'm really not doing anything now. I'm just no. dealing with grief and depression, and yeah. I've kind of shut down. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I'm but, sorry. But while I was doing it, I really enjoyed it, and I mm -hmm. and I really felt like i help people mm -hmm. like you know i'm a you know i'm a i'm a heterosexual man like i'm a low mm -hmm. volume sex worker yeah and so the low people, volume meaning you, do, you didn't have a lot of clients no okay no if you're if you're a heterosexual guy and you're not um willing to work with cisgender men you're not going to retire off sex work i mean it's right. it's supplemental mm -hmm. um and so the people that came to me oftentimes like it wasn't just about getting off i mean mm -hmm. it's part of it but mm -hmm. They it's also intimacy. With, and... Yeah, they were people with really serious sort of issues, particularly around men mm -hmm. that they were trying to address. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were um, either trans transgender people or lesbian identified women who had never been with a man or hadn't been with a man in decades mm -hmm. and were developing these like later in life desires to have sex with men mm -hmm. but they didn't know what to, to do with that yeah they yeah. wanted to they want to do in a safe professional before they sort of you know go out mm -hmm. there into the world interesting and i got i got a lot out of you know helping them with that mm -hmm. well i can imagine that being a little bit easier too because if you pay somebody you get to tell them exactly what's going to happen and you can trust that it's it's really about them to some degree <laughs> see here's the thing um he's I always like, gonna prove me wrong but oh, yeah. <laughs> i feel like even when they're they're so people are so conditioned not to ask for what they want yeah they are oh, yeah, that they have true. a hard time even when they're paying for it yep and you kind of have to remind them like oh. this hour is all about you right which you is a what? very different environment for most people to really have like an hour mm -hmm. where they just get to receive whatever they want you know what? i right. was just thinking about massage lux like we go get massages and even me like i have to remind myself angela you can tell them <laughs> yeah to, like because i i'm conditioned that way and yeah. so like i'll do a massage and sometimes it's too hard and and like i was, I was like just, just like, tell just them just tell them but i'm like just say ouch but they're hurts. doing their thing and i don't want to hurt their feelings right. and women care. are conditioned that yeah. way too where we're not so allowed not to like not ask complain. for what we want don't not complain, complain just be nice yeah. so there's a piece of that be for us nice. too yes yeah. yeah don't be nice even at the massage looks <laughs> being nice never helps anybody like you gotta be but, real but here's here's the thing though we've we've got it in our head that asking for what we want or speaking up when we're getting what we don't want is mm -hmm. not being nice somehow 
Right. Yeah. But it's being actually assertive isn't it's actually being mean. being mean to yourself. Yeah. And sometimes you're actually being mean to the other person. Yeah. Because yeah, people, long term it causes harm. Right. Like if 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 one of your friends says they're going to go on American Idol and they have the voice of nothing. Like if really <laughs> you need to tell your yeah. friend and be honest and say, "Dude, I love that you love to sing, but you're not going to do well and you're going to probably regret it." Like well, and I want to talk about even my couples, right? Like, so being nice, they almost nice themselves out of their own sex lives. Exactly. Like they, they, they distance and distance. Right. And, 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 and they won't ask then, for their needs, right? It's usually conflict avoiders that actually grow very separate because they're so kind. They, like, oh, she might have a headache. I don't want to like, I don't want to be mean or, oh, he maybe he had a mm-hmm. stressful day at work. I don't right. want to. And it, it literally nices themselves out into a sexless and marriage. Human beings have such a desire to be consistent that mm-hmm. the longer you do that, the harder it is to break out of that. Right. Because you feel like, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I say something now, they're going to say, well, how come you didn't say something right. about this then six months ago? Then it's a bigger ago? deal. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. gets so big that people people do, I think people often cheat because they feel bitter and, and resentful of all of those things instead of having talked about it along the way. It's not always that case, but it's commonly that case. And you also know. you get a fresh start when you cheat. Like, you have so it's much <laughs> baggage with your partner because of a lot of times the things that you haven't said to them and they haven't said to you. Mm-hmm. So rather than taking that risk and saying those things to your partner, it's easier to say those things to someone sort of inconsequential in your relationship. Yeah. And then you're having better sex with them than you're having with your partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. yeah. Don't cheat though. <laughs> Don't cheat. Just no, become polyamorous. That's though. the <laughs> opposite. <laughs> That might not work out. <laughs> Just ask, ask for what you want and learn to communicate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can be nice You can be while communicating we, what you we want. We should say you can be assertive because I think nice is so connected to like conflict avoidance. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, So you can be assertive, be assertive and not be a jerk. You can yeah. say, hey, I'm you interested be, in trying new things. You can be compassionate yeah. in, in yeah. your honesty. But be you, can honest. be, you can be loving and mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. and ask for what you want right. and get it from the person you love as right. opposed to having to get it somewhere else. Especially, like I understand like if it's a stranger, it's mm-hmm. a lot harder to do that. But if it's somebody you've been with and you have an intimate relationship with, you should be able to be honest. Like, yeah. You know, doing a throwback to the grief thing earlier, I think when people face death, um, you kind of really look at life and it makes you not give a fuck more um, yeah. because you've lost big things, you know? So mm-hmm. it's it's com- it's so interesting to me how often a death will precede um, like a depression and then an affair. Depression, divorce, affair, yeah. uh, suicides, yeah. there's but, a lot. You know, it makes sense that your sexual interests would get more wild, um, mm-hmm. that you might be like, F it, I'm sick of a sexless marriage, I'm going to cheat. And Yeah, so I wouldn't be in a sexless marriage. Just be careful when people die. <laughs> Yeah, you do. <laughs> you dealt with your own depression. I after did. Your, I did. Grandmother uh, my passed. grandmother passed away, and I had my own fuck it moments. Yeah, that, was I was just, that was last year. That was last year. What was weird is we were doing the podcast while it was all going on. That's when mm-hmm. we started doing it. So if you go back to old episodes, you can probably see a little bit of grumpiness in there, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of bitterness towards the world. I'm oh, sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But we're, we've got. We've grown a little that. older. We've grown a little wiser. We got a lot of therapy. <laughs> we got a lot of therapy. <laughs> and honestly, we've grown closer because of it. Yeah. Because instead of that depression pushing us apart it, we fought for each other and grew mm-hmm. together as a couple so yeah yeah also High five. <laughs> not divorced <laughs> nailed it <laughs> and still nailing it <laughs> oh yeah a little too much <laughs> right. well, you wear me out woman <laughs> I, do, I do wear them out but it's wonderful uh, all right i think that probably wraps yeah, it unless up. there's anything else you want to talk about or don't, don't make me pull out my rim shot app. <laughs> 
Well, do you want to do a plug? We usually do plugs before we finish up here. All so. right. So um, I'm David Wraith. You can find me at DavidWraith.com. Um, DavidWraith.com on, I think, all the social media except uh, Instagram, where it's Planet Wraith. And um, you can find Sex Positive St. Louis at SexSTL.com. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you guys for having me. You're always welcome back. Uh I appreciate it. And then on my plugs, if you want to see a therapist, it's www.therapistsinstlouis.com. And I have my book out, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity. Awesome. And this has been the About Sex Podcast. We live stream on Facebook. Hello, Facebook. Hi, Facebook. And the audio version, which has a better audio quality, of course, is at (laughs) www.aboutsexpodcast.com. And feel free to send us questions at aboutsexpodcast at gmail.com. We might just answer them. Uh, I'm Joshua Skirtu. And I'm Angela Skirtu. Stay Stay kinky, kinky, St. Louis. Louis.